Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Finally, it's Liverpool's title. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days... While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week we've once again got a full house. That means leading the line around the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, really good then. Uh, we've got lots of football on the go at the moment. You kind of lose track of who's playing, when and what days, etc. But not being funny, it's all good. It keeps us busy and gives us plenty to talk about. Yes, yeah, a nice problem to have, isn't it? You know, if you look back, what, two, three months ago, we were sort of scrabbling for ideas. Now, we've probably got too many ideas, but that's fine. Let's crack on, because we've also got your strike partner, which, of course, is Drew. Drew, how have you been on the other side of the pond? I'm doing great, Dan. Happy to see Chelsea on a winning streak. Not so happy to see Liverpool as Premier League champions, but, hey, I guess it was bound to happen. We all knew this day was coming, um, but happy to talk football and all things Premier League and FA Cup with you guys again. Top man. Right, before we do that, let's look at the social media bits first. I will be talking into the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And also, if you like it, leave a review so we move up the league table. And of course, if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Audio Boom. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Of course, don't forget our content partners at lastwordonfootball.com. Here you can check out the excellent work that Drew does, also the work that I do after you've listened to this show. And somehow, I said last week, don't worry about David Luiz getting a new contract. Well, there's more egg on our face because that's happening. <laughs> now, I don't know how that's happened. We'll, tra- we'll chat about that later. But yes, I mean, football is a very strange beast as we already know, but it just becomes even stranger. 
Okay, let's go live because we can only go one place. That has to be Anfield. Although there's no real celebrations there at the moment, Cole. They've got their hands on the Premier League title. Now, some will say, yeah, there's an asterisk next to their name. But really, they've been the most deserving of champions this season. Yeah, I think all of us that are trying to wind our, our Liverpool friends up uh, with the old asterisks are just trying to basically get under their skin a little bit, aren't we? And, and stop them from gloating so much. But um, like as you say, it, it was on the cards. And, you know, if the break hadn't come, then it was going to come as early as it did because they kind of have been the best team, haven't they? Um, they do deserve it. Um you know, and unfortunately, this, you know, the pandemic happening has kind of put a little bit of a dampener on everything for them. But I think we all know, really, that, you know, they do deserve it. They have been head and shoulders above anyone else in the league. Um, and the football they've played been great. No one's really got close to them. Um, and yeah, fully deserved. And, you know, we do have to give them credit. But like, as you say, you know, it, it's not the way they wanted it to, to happen. Um, you know, they, they're not going to be able to celebrate the way they want to be able to, but fully deserved. And I think we do have to say, like, yeah, take your hats off to them because we have watched a special kind of team over the last year or so. Oh, absolutely. I think the sense that the way they've played, they almost deserve such a big celebration. So that's the the disappointment for them, but you can take absolutely nothing away from what they've done because they've beasted this this competition, no doubt about it. And Drew, they say that it's hard to win a Premier League. Liverpool made it quite easy this season, but it's also harder to win it two in a row. So if that to be the case, and for Liverpool to crack on and create a real legacy or a dynasty, what are they going to have to do to evolve? Is there going to have to be much business or is it a case of just using this young squad and kicking on further? Yeah, well, I mean, I was just reading this morning that Jurgen Klopp... And Liverpool do not plan on spending that much money on the squad. And I, I think really the question for Liverpool now is what happens with the front three, right? Because they've been absolutely dynamic for a few seasons now. Incredible uh, Salah, Mane, and Firmino. But they're all hitting that age of, I, I think it's like 28, 29, where it's kind of like how much longer can they go? And the issue is you obviously can't get rid of all three. You can't keep all three without someone at least falling off. And so I think that's kind of the issue is how do you integrate one player coming in next year, another player coming in the next year after that um, in order to keep this train rolling. And so I think that's going to be the key issue for Liverpool, right? They wanted Timo Werner, and that was somebody who probably would have helped them in a lot of different areas. He can play like Firmino. He can play out wide like Sadio Mane. You know, he could do both. And so he would have been a very good fit for that fluid system that they have um, or, the, or for their attack. So I think that's going to be the key issue is how does Jurgen Klopp man manage someone else coming in right next year? Of course, they're going to have, well, hopefully the uh, Africa Cup of Nations. So Salah and Mane are going to be gone for a month or so. Um, and so that would be a perfect time to do it and to try and integrate someone new. So I think that's the key issue. Defense is going to be solid, of course, with Virgil van Dijk. Midfield, they have a ton of options already that are going to continue to roll on. I think it's really that attack that they have to focus on and try and improve for next year. The one good thing for them is Manchester City possibly will be banned from the Champions League. And so they may have a new manager. They may have a whole new squad. They wouldn't have to worry about them. Who they would have to worry about is probably Manchester United, Chelsea, maybe even Wolves. I think those are the teams that Liverpool are going to have to worry about. At this point, I think right now they are clear favorites 
for next season as a repeat. Again, assuming that City is banned from European competition and they have a mass exodus, I think Liverpool actually could have a year next year where where they would be able to falter a lot of times and still win the league pretty comfortably. Um, so I think that's going to be the key issue for Liverpool next year. I'll stay with you, Drew, because I was going to ask who you view as their genuine competition next season. So you sort of answered that. I'll answer, well, sorry, I'll ask you a sort of sub-question off the back of that. It's a 20-point spread plus this season. Can Liverpool get away with being a, you know, a little bit more sloppy? Will it be as big again, 20 points? Or can they sort of get over the line and win at not as much as a canter? You know, there might be more of a test and the squad's tested a little bit more. But can you still see them getting over the line with some comfort? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think they're going to repeat 100. I know they haven't hit 100 points yet this year, but, you know, last year was was an anomaly to have City at, what, 98, Liverpool 97, the year before that, City with 100. I mean, I don't think those types of numbers can really uh, continue for any extended period of time. So I think Liverpool and, you know, everyone else is going to come back down to earth a little bit. I mean, if you look at the Premier League table right now, and what is it, with uh, seven games to go, you know... Man City is on 63 points, Leicester 55. Those aren't that impressive of points totals. And so Liverpool, I think, will have that that buffer zone, and I think they will drop down next year, to or whoever wins the title. I think it's going to be something a little bit more reasonable and more uh, uh, sensible around you know maybe 90 points or something, because last year and this year, their points totals have just been absolutely outrageous. And I think it, it, it's really hard to continue that form for another year, regardless of any, you know, personnel that they'd bring in and might have some speed bumps along the way. I mean, look at them this year in the FA Cup and the Champions League, right? In the Champions League, they lost to to Atletico Madrid at home in extra time. So I think next year you're going to see them falter again. I think being this perfect, essentially, for 18 months already is hard enough. I, I can't see that much or I can't con- I can't see it continuing that much longer, but I still pick them right now as favorites. I think somewhere around 90 points is going to be uh, more where they where they end up in the Premier League next season. Yeah, I think this sort of period of, shall we say, hyper-dominance in the Premier League has got to burst at some point because you consider that Man City, 100 points as Centurions, winning the League 98, as you said. Liverpool could hit 107 if all things go well to the end of the season. Whether they do or not, I don't know. But, you know, that could take it to another level. And if you think, where can it go from there? There's only seven points they would have dropped. You know, can a team win 38 in a row, that's the ultimate season, which I don't think we'll ever have. So I think there will be some form of regression. I think we might have seen the absolute ultimate in terms of team efforts and points won. And because they're hoarding so many points, it's obviously lessening everyone else's titles, uh, sorry, tallies. So it sort of adds into that mix as well. So that kind of drifting away and adding extra competition to all the other levels, I think that might change shape also. But Cole, in terms of Liverpool, obviously missing out by a point last season, you'd think to yourself... Well, as an outsider, I certainly did. That there's no way Liverpool have got that in the tank again. That the disappointment will be so much that they will struggle to even really mount a challenge. So I got that completely wrong. But where did Jurgen Klopp and his players find all these extra multiple gears? Because it wasn't just one; it was another gear and another gear and another gear. So where did all this impetus come from? Uh, uh, do you know? I, I think last season. Um... The real spurring kick-on point, I think, was that victory over Barcelona. Um, You know, turning over that Champions League um, deficit that I actually think just has given them that confidence now that, hey, listen, 
we, we are the best team in the world, I think. And if we can come back and beat a team like this, having been, you know, 3-0 down, um, and on the night, they really murdered them. I think that was a real shot in the arm moment and, and a moment where the belief just goes from one, you know, a, a level and just goes into a completely different level because, you know, I, I think that night really kind of kicked on and, and gave them the belief. You know, they then went on to win the Champions League. They finished that point behind, unfortunately. And I think, you know, there was that driver, you know, that win and then that driver of we missed out by a point. Players will then go, that ain't happening again. You know, we're not going to fall into this trap again and we're going to need to go again. And I think, you know, probably City being as good as they were made them realise we there's no way we can afford to drop off at any point. And that set the standard for them going forward. You know, you know, with City, no one knew as City were going to drop so many points this season. And Liverpool probably felt if we are going to beat these this year, we've got to be on it every game. And we don't take our foot off the pedal whatsoever. Um, and that comes from, you know, management, um, putting the driving in and, and doing the motivating to get you there. But it also comes from within the squad. And I think what you can tell there is that there are players in that team who are driven and, and, and don't want to be anything but the best. You know, you can pick someone like Virgil van Dijk. I'd imagine he sets his standards high and in the dressing room is demanding the very best. Jordan Henderson, you know, some, you know, a lot of people go over the top with him about how good he is and everything like that. But the one thing you know with Jordan Henderson, he is probably in that dressing room driving and setting a standard where if you fall below that, you're going to get called out. You know, you've got people like Salah, Mane, you know, Firmino, you know, all these players. I think, you know, they had that spur from last season that we missed out on a point. We've just destroyed this team in the semi-finals. We've now gone on to win that Champions League. The one thing we're missing out on is this. And we ain't going to do anything but win this next season at all costs. And we destroy anyone who gets in our way. And that's where you can see you've got a team of winners there. Because let's face it, there were games this season where they weren't great. But they got a, you know, a late winner. Um, and that's, that reminds me of the old Man United side where you had players in that side like Keane and Beckham and you know Stam and people like that where you just knew. They never knew they were beaten. And they set themselves a standard. And if they drop below that, you can imagine there was, you know, almost as Roy Keane would like to say, fists flying in the changing room. Uh, and that's a team of winners. And when you've got that mentality, um, you are going to win things because, you know, most other teams don't have that. Um, and I think that was the real driving force behind them doing what they've done this year. They won't have, they won't have, they, they certainly wouldn't have envisaged City dropping as many points as they did. They'd have felt it would have been tighter. But I tell you now, even if City were going all the way with them, I still see Liverpool would have won it this season. Oh, yeah. I think City or not, I think Liverpool have been just that bit better, haven't they? Well, so much better, shall I say. But I think as a neutral, you'd have liked a bit more of a challenge from at least a team. But the fact that Liverpool have just crushed everyone, I think it's almost been a spectacular season in itself. Now, cast overview, because obviously Liverpool themselves didn't do the act that was needed to win the Premier League. They got a favour from Chelsea. And when you look at Chelsea versus Man City, you look at Chelsea's top four hopes going into that game, you think this might be a hurdle which could stop them. However, they cleared that one quite easily. Yeah, you know, they they really played well, didn't they? Um, 
And Chelsea are a team who I would kind of earmark as being one of the challenges for next season. You know, I think they're setting their stall out early. Um, they've made some really good signings already that are going to come in. Uh, and I think they wanted to prove that point. And, you know, they want to finish the season strong. Um, they've had a good win in the Cup now that puts them through. Um, and their form since the restart has been pretty good. And when you consider that those players are now just coming back into some sort of form and getting their fitness and everything back, I think Chelsea have got a lot to be excited about. But that was a great performance. And, and Chelsea seem to be the side that like winning it for others, don't they? You know, yep. we know all too well, Dan, don't we? That, you know, the last time a team didn't win it on the pitch was, was, was unfortunately at the cost of us. But... Uh, they seem to have a knack of doing that. But I, I think next year, Chelsea will be a side that possibly could give Liverpool a bit of a challenge uh, and a run to, till pretty late into the season. Yeah, I think with Chelsea's business already, they're a genuine top three team, without a doubt. Whether they can bridge that gap a bit further, we'll have to wait and see. But like you say, early business always sets you up quite well. And Drew, talking of business, Captain America... Two league games, two goals. What a goal this one was. The run and finish were outstanding. Anything else that you'd like to add on that one? Yeah, absolutely fantastic. But, I mean, what what I thought was very good from Pulisic, but, but Chelsea in general in this match, is they took advantage of exactly where Manchester City has struggled this year. And it's been in defence and on the counterattack, or trying to defend a counterattack, right? They don't have Fernandinho uh, on this one on the corner. They don't have him there to take, you know, a yellow card tactical foul. You have Benjamin Mendy, who's very error prone. Um, and so for Christian Pulisic to sprint and be able to get past them as he did. And then, like you said, the finish to be able to just bend the ball around Ederson enough and into the corner. I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. Chelsea in this game and, and Pulisic in particular, like I said, they took advantage of City's flaws. And that's what I think was very important. I mean... Just getting into the stats a little bit, Chelsea only had 35% possession, but they had 10 shots on target, which is insane when Manchester City only had two. And for Chelsea's shots inside of the box, the 15 total shots, 14 of them from inside the box. I mean, even though they didn't control the ball, they dominated this game in a lot of ways, taking advantage of that weak uh, Manchester City defense. And so that's what I think was really the the driving factor in this game. And that's what impressed me so much about Lampard setting up the team and then Pulisic for that individual effort. Um, so that's that was where I thought Chelsea really, really shined or shone uh, in this match, was taking advantage of Manchester City and all the flaws that they do have. And Cole, if you're talking about exquisite goals, Kevin De Bruyne added another to his collection. As far as free kicks go, they don't get much better than that, do they? No, I mean, but, you know, that that is what you expect from a guy with the sort of quality he has, isn't it? You know, you're, you're not surprised if someone like him pulls that off because we've seen it before and no doubt we'll see it time and time again before he's done. Um, he is a quality player. There's no doubt about that. Um, and it's a joy just to be able to say that some days, you know, you, you like watching a player like him doing what he does because it's so good. Um, but, yeah, great free kick. And I say you can't you can't stop those. Of course, Drew, that and then Raheem Sterling hitting the post nearly cultivated a very quick turnaround. At that point, it looked like Pep's men were going to pr pretty much find a gear themselves, assert their own dominance and kick on. From your point of view, though, as a Chelsea fan, thankfully, it, it didn't happen. So you saw, well, I wouldn't say you got away with one, but there was a little bit of rough water for a moment, wasn't there? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Because Chelsea's Achilles heel has been the same as City's this year. It's been that defense. Um, and so and, and on the counterattack, Manchester City, like always, was lightning quick. Um, I believe uh, was it Sterling? Whoever sent the outlet pass to Sterling initially, I believe he gave it up and then got it back towards the end. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Chelsea definitely lucked out there um, because right against Arsenal this year, you know, when N'Golo Conte slipped on a counterattack and then Martinelli was in on goal. Um, I, I was really fearing it was going to be something like that. And to see Sterling hit the post, I think you're right. It was kind of a, you know, a sigh of relief because it definitely looked like City had turned the corner in those couple minutes right off the back of the De Bruyne free kick. And if that was going to be the case, I would say, yep, that's what Chelsea does. Because this year they've given up a lot of second half goals. They've allowed a lot of second half comebacks and ended up dropping points. And that's exactly what I thought was going to happen in this game. But thankfully it didn't. Raheem Sterling, just a couple inches off, um, was, was really a, a stroke of luck, honestly, for Chelsea, um, both in the match but in their fight for the top four as well. And then, of course, which I'm, I'm guessing we're going to get to next, is the uh, Fernandinho deliberate handball to, to prevent a goal from going in. Um, but even, even with that, on that same play, right, Christian Pulisic, or, or just a moment before, Christian Pulisic almost had a goal go in, which Kyle Walker saved off the line. So Chelsea had their chances as well. I did think that Raheem Sterling was about to put it away and kind of kill off the game. But thankfully he didn't, and then Chelsea fought back just as hard. So that's why I think you actually had a a, a lot of moments for, for each side, both good in their attack that you saw, but then you saw their flaws brutally exposed on both sides. It was actually a really fun game to watch. Oh, yeah, as a neutral, I was loving it. I mean, the goal line drama, which we'll get to now. Actually, before we do, you mentioned uh, chances. Mason Mount had another guilt-edge chance that could have should have gone in. Sterling's goal arguably was... Deserving of a goal, sorry, Sterling's chance was deserving of a goal, but you don't always get what you deserve in football. But the way it was sort of one touch passes for three moves, and you think, wow, you know, that really cut Chelsea apart. That didn't happen. But Cole, in terms of goal line drama, we saw Cole Walker hook one off the line. I don't know how he did that, but that was incredible. And then, as Drew alluded to, Chelsea won it from the spot because Fernandinho wasn't quite as fortunate with, when you look back, it was quite a blatant handball, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that is one of them, isn't it, where it's like, right, here we go. I'm turning goalkeeper for the afternoon, and, and you know what's coming. Um, I suppose, you know, we, we've all kind of been there. If you played a game, you know, it's a natural reaction sometimes. You just stick your hand up and you think, oh, but, yeah, blatant as you come. Um, and, and there's only one thing going to happen when you do that, isn't there? You know, stopping the ball going in with your hand, you know it's going to be a red. Um Obviously, and from the spot there, I didn't think Chelsea were going to miss at any point. You kind of felt, right, this could be it. This could be the winner. Um, and so it proved to be. So, yeah, you know, one knows, you know, it's going to happen. We will see it time and time again, but as blatant as they come. Joe, a perfect penalty, as Carl says. One that sees you pick up 13 points from the last 15 in the league. Form that really, with Wolves and United doing their stuff, form that you're going to need. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I, I think an even more important team to include in that, and, and you talked about this recently, Dan, was Leicester, because they've fallen off the map since the restart as well. And I think you were spot on when you said it, and I'll continue to believe that, especially right now. I think Chelsea is, is going to overtake Leicester. They have been hot, and uh, in this game, they were able to take down you know, a, a very good Manchester City squad. But they have some pretty favorable matchups coming as well. They have West Ham uh, tomorrow. They have Watford at the weekend, Crystal Palace uh, into July, and then Sheffield United, who hasn't had a good restart either. So I, I think Chelsea has a very, very 
good run of games where they can continue to take points. And especially if Captain America continues to start, which he should, in my opinion, if he continues to power the attack as he did against Man City and even against Leicester in the FA Cup, you know, if he's firing on all cylinders, if he is Chelsea's best player, then I think they have a very, very good shot to overtake Leicester into third. And they, I mean, they could clinch a top four spot with a couple games remaining. I, I, I hope, and and I think they can because these upcoming fixtures are, re- I mean, really th- these are these are games that they should be winning and winning comfortably. So I think right now Chelsea, Frank Lampard, Captain America, the entire squad, they should have big grins on their face because everything is setting up for them perfectly to finish in the top four and get into the Champions League for next season. Yes, I would have to begrudgingly agree with that one, Drew. But if we stay, yeah. <laughs> if we stay on the <laughs> if we stay on the topics of City and Chelsea, they were both in the FA Cup at the weekend and both passed those tests also. So, Cole, City certainly bounced back from midweek disappointment against Chelsea. They beat Newcastle to book their place in the semis, and I guess reinforce their mantle as uh, favourites for the competition. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, it, they pretty much strolled that game against Newcastle, didn't they? Um... You know, there was only ever going to be one winner from that game, the way it started panning out. Um, And as you say now, when you look at the teams that are left in it, I mean, you know, United won't be no pusher. And even Chelsea, you know, they they are the two teams that I think will give City their biggest challenge. um, Because I don't see City having a problem beating Arsenal in the semi-final. Um, so they'll be they'll be through, um, but that United Chelsea game is really going to be an interesting one because I think you got two teams there now that are starting to pick up some form, looking pretty good, um, feeling confident. But I think either of those on the day, you know, in a one-off game, could cause City some problems. I mean, United seem to you know enjoy playing City at the moment, don't they? They've had some good victories against them, and Chelsea in a one-off game. You know, in a final, you wouldn't write them off either. So I think it'll be tight, but I think City probably should just have what it takes to see them through uh, and pick that trophy up at the end of it. And Drew, City, they go up against an Arsenal side that beat Sheffield United to book their place in the final four. These two teams met in 2017. Arsenal got the better that afternoon before then going on to win the final. Can you see any hope of the Gunners doing something similar in a few weeks' time? Nope, absolutely not. <laughs> no <laughs> chance. Yep. And, well, and, and, and this is why, right? I mean, against a, a struggling Sheffield United uh, in, in this FA Cup match this weekend, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that Arsenal bossed the game or it's like, oh, man, they're clearly better. I mean, they oh, left no. it right until the death, until stoppage time for Ceballos, who has not been a key contributor this year. I mean, you know, good for him in this moment, um, you know, to, to sneak one in right at the end. And so I don't have a lot of faith in Arsenal. Their defense is horrendous. You alluded to it at the beginning of the show. They, for some reason, thought David Luiz's, you know, 25-minute performance against City last time uh, was worthy of another few million dollars or pounds. So obviously they have no clue what they're doing in the boardroom or on the pitch. Um, so no, I, I don't see this as... You know, Arsenal really have that big of a chance. Of course, anything can happen in 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 one match. Fine, but no, right now, I mean, uh, unless unless lightning strikes eight Manchester City players <laughs> over the next couple of weeks, there's there's no way this is going to happen. Like Arsenal are Man City are clearly the favorites. You know, I I don't know how betting odds work, but you know, you should have to bet a million dollars to win one. Like, honestly, that that's how far out in front of favorites Manchester City should be. Pep himself talked about 
before the the Chelsea game in the Premier League, he said, "No, our focus is Newcastle, meaning the FA Cup." And for him, he's going. He, they can't win the league, obviously. So he's like, "You know what? We're going to win everything else we can." And so I I think Pep and City absolutely obliterate Arsenal in a couple of weeks in the semi final. Carl, in the other semi final, of course, we've got Man United versus Chelsea. The Red Devils were made to work for their progress against Norwich. Looking at this season, do you think it's a season where Oli has to win a trophy? Or is there a little bit more time for him at Old Trafford? No, I think there's a little bit more time. I think, you know, obviously it would be great if he could pick up an FA Cup. Um, but to me, like I say, the way United are looking from the restart, um, you know, Fernandez is now just settling in and looking good. You know, Greenwood's coming through. You've got Martial, Rashford, Pogba's just come back. Um, I think United are kind of setting themselves up decently. And if they finish strongly, then I think, you know, Oli gets at least next season. But then I do think there will be a bit of pressure on him next season to actually win something. You know, next season it will be right top four and potentially, you know, an FA Cup or League Cup uh, and some good progression in whatever European competition they end up in. Um, so I don't think there's a desperate need for it. I think they're looking pretty good. I think if United in the summer can go out and get themselves some centre-halves, um, and maybe a couple of fullbacks and get themselves a new back four, um, then again, from what I've seen of them, they could be a team that put themselves up there and in the picture. And Drew, of course, may not going up against your boys. Firstly, what did you make of Ross Barkley's goal to clinch that place? And also your hopes of repeating the 2018 final success against United? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a great goal that came in, you know, Lampard with the super subs against Leicester, Barkley, one of them, uh, going with experience over youth in that second half. It was a great sliding goal, took it very, very well. Um, when it comes to this match, though, I actually, I, I don't, it, I mean, it, it's pretty even on paper, but I don't know if Chelsea should be the favorites in this one. I mean, Manchester United has beaten them on three occasions this year. They did the double over them in the league, and... They beat them in the uh, League Cup earlier this year. Plus, with Manchester United right now, you know, with Pogba and Fernandez, which I think is an incredible partnership, and I think the two of them are going to absolutely flourish as long as Pogba's healthy and he stays at United, of course. Um, I actually think they are going to give Chelsea's defense a lot of problems. If you have Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford firing like they were or like they have been kind of in the Premier League, if, if all those thing, things go together, then I think Chelsea have a tough time. Plus, let's say Chelsea plays Jorginho in the midfield. He is not quick enough. He is not defensively sound enough to really shield that back four. And so I really think right now the edge should go to Manchester United. Like everything, of course, anything can happen in one game. But I think tactically right now and based on evidence from this year, I actually think Manchester United should be the favorites no matter how slight or how... Uh, uh, clear that should be I am actually not really keen on Chelsea winning this match I would love to see it of course I would love to see Captain America Tammy Abraham and everyone else torch Manchester United's you know defense as well but I think honestly speaking you have to give the edge to United right now yeah it's much more toss of a coin stuff really you look at City versus Arsenal getting paired up and as you say Drew the odds will be not as astronomical as you said but much more in City's favor but Chelsea Man United it's really going to be who wants it the most on the day. But, Cole, looking at the FA Cup itself, you look at the, t the four teams in the semi-finals, that's four big guns, really. Arsenal or not, I guess we have to include them as a big gun. But does that suggest the competition is in? <laughs> 
does that suggest the competition's in good health or is it a bit of a worry because it's more that same close shop? Yeah, I mean, like as you say, I, th- I think, it, you know, we, I love the FA Cup, you know, it, I think we all do, you know, it's the traditional cup, it holds so many memories for all of us. Um, as you say, you've got, you know, four four teams that have got a good history in the FA Cup, especially over recent years. Um, and I think it does show that it's in kind of good spirits. Um, you know, if you look at that lineup for the, you know, the quarterfinals there, you know, Norwich are in there, Sheffield United are in there, Newcastle, Leicester. Um, so that, that goes to show you that, you know, it wasn't kind of like just the top six in, in the, you know, in that last stages of it. Everyone had put up a decent fight. So, I think this is looking quite good and healthy at the moment, the FA Cup. I think if we look at the two cup competitions that we've got, I think more teams and more clubs are probably interested in the FA Cup over the Carabao Cup. Um, And it goes back to that discussion we've had before, isn't it? Where, you know, I can see the Carabao Cup being scrapped at some point in the very near future. Um, and the FA Cup just being the one cup competition that we have and everyone can focus on each year because I think it still is the one that kind of is close to everyone's hearts. I think players and clubs probably want to win it more than the League Cup. And as you say, our semi-final lineup kind of shows that the big clubs do take it reasonably seriously. So I think it all looks good. At the same time, Drew, with those four big guns, it does at least limit the potential of the showpiece final being an absolute whitewash like last year. You know, Watford shipping six to City, that's not a good look, is it? No, not at all. And, I mean, but I, I also kind of think to myself, you know what? That's that's the, the draw that we got. And so I don't have a problem with it. I think it can become very anticlimactic. And with Man City and Arsenal, we're, we're, we're probably going to see that again uh, in the near future. So. Um, but but I, don't, I don't have a... <laughs> but I don't have a problem with that because... You know, I, I would say that's also part of the, you know, the magic of the FA Cup as well is Manchester City can go and, you know, dominate teams as they do in the Premier League. Or, you know, you could have Watford or somebody else kind of shock them. Um, I think that is also part of the magic of the FA Cup because it is a one-off game. You do see teams rotate, generally not as much now in the in the later stages. Um, but, you know, you do see teams continue to use their backup keepers. Right, those guys continue to play, and you can see errors from Willie Caballero or Claudio Bravo or something. Um, so, so I, I get what you're saying in that it may not be this, you know, down to the down to the final minute spectacle that keeps you on the edge of your seat. I, I get where you're where you're coming from, and I think that's definitely a valid thing to say. But again, I think that's part of the magic as well. Is you can see a dominating performance. Right, last year when Man City won uh, the FA Cup. And the League Cup and the Premier League, right? They won the first domestic treble. And I think that should be included in kind of the magic of the Cup as well. So I don't have a problem with it. I don't think every game has to go down to the wire and have you on the edge of the seat, on, on the edge of your seat. Those are always the most fun, don't get me wrong. Um, but seeing quality, I mean, you know, we talked about it with Kevin De Bruyne's free kick against Chelsea in the Premier League the other day. You know, you can see moments like that as well. So I think. You know, you have to include that as well in part of the the spectacle that is the FA Cup semis, even and final. Even though we won't have fans at uh, Wembley this year, that's a fair point. Like you want great moments as well, don't you? Because otherwise, you just have two one matches all the time, and no one would really stand out from anyone else. So fair point, Drew. But if we stay on the topic of Watford, Cole, they've lost their last two league outings, which is far from welcome for Nigel Pearson and his players. Thankfully, they can take solace from the fact that the teams below them 
or just refusing to earn any points for himself at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I, I, for me now, I think if you look at kind of Watford and West Ham, who are kind of really in there and not looking great since the return, I think their one saving grace is that those three teams that are below them look even worse. Um, and, and you can't see them picking up many more points now to get them out of trouble. I still see Watford being able to get probably enough points in their home games to make them safe. Um, West Ham, I think you know they could struggle, but again, I think they'll probably pick up you know three or four points maybe over the course of their next remaining games, and I think that'll be enough to keep both of them teams safe. Because as we say, the, the three that are down there at the moment they look horrible, um, and I can't see them picking up many more points. You know, maybe maybe two, three, three, maybe three points at the most. I mean, not being funny, if things work the way we normally say. All those three will get themselves out and well at the before the end <laughs> yeah, of the season. Of course. <laughs> but no, so, I so Carl, you basically you just saved Aston Villa and Norwich yeah, and West Ham. Good job. I, I've, kept, I've kept them up. Um, so, you know, I'll send my address to those clubs for some some, some of that TV money bio going my way. Um, but no, I do think those three that are there are, are gone in theory now. Yeah, the relegation saviour tour is ready for business. If you want to get involved, do let us know, clubs. But uh, in terms of Watford, Drew, they lost to Southampton. And it's a game that's probably... Well, actually, no, it was. It was overshadowed more by the fact that three Watford players were arrested for, in inverted commas, health and safety reasons. Andre Gray's birthday party, quite ill-timed, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, look, I, I, I'm going to try and be as, as even keel as I can on this because, I, I mean, I've told you guys before... I I think the coronavirus, as unfortunate it is that people have gotten sick and, and you know, and, and worse than that, you know, for a majority of Premier League players, for a majority of people, maybe they get it, but it doesn't really affect them all that much. And so, I, you know, I think a lot of these issues and a lot of these rules put in place, I understand the precautions, but I think at this point, it, it's pretty clear that these rules kind of aren't really necessarily needed. You know, I mean, take any player that's gotten in trouble, right? Phil Foden, um, Serge Aurier, uh, Kyle Walker, Moise Keane, and then obviously outside of England, Jaden Sancho, Solomon Kalou. You know, they've all gotten in trouble for breaking lockdown rules, but it they've never gotten the coronavirus. They've never then spread it to their team. And so I kind of think to myself, why are we still punishing guys for things that personally I don't think are necessary, all these rules, especially when the truth comes out later that they didn't get the coronavirus. You know, they they didn't affect anybody else. And so I, I think Watford, you know, suspending these players, I don't I mean, that's not the reason they lost to Southampton. Let's let's be honest. But I, I think it's kind of a lot of like PR moves right now to show, oh look, see, we're taking it seriously. When a lot of the data and facts you know, don't really support the necessity for a lot of these measures. Again, I, I, I don't want anyone to get the coronavirus, right? Dan, you, you'd know better than anyone about it. Yep. I, I don't want that to happen. And it's unfortunate for anyone who's gotten sick or or even worse. That I'm not saying that it's it's fake or anything. But the the data and the evidence we have now, most people, thankfully, are not really getting that sick from it. Um, and especially in the Premier League. I mean, They've done, what, 12, 15,000 tests, and I think less than 20 people have tested positive. And this is after all of these breaking of the rules and things, and still they're not getting sick or worse and, and spreading it. So I think a lot of these rules and, and regulations are kind of 
unnecessary at this point from what we know. I guess, Carl, if we look at it from a UK point of view, of us both being on this side of the pond, Drew has got a very valid point in the terms of data and science. He's probably leaning towards, you know, the approach is perhaps a bit heavy-handed, kid gloves, if you will. That said, with football and its restart, a bit of a thorny subject anyway, you know, why should it be restarting because of the current climate? You also need to be careful that footballers can't be seen to be above the man in the street and their sort of things that they're going through. So, you know, you have to sort of almost, you do have to deal out these punishments because otherwise, why are you or I doing all, all our lockdowns? I think so, yeah. Like as you say, when when you consider there was, you know, lots of people didn't want football to return um, and, you know, it had kind of been stressed about how safe it was going to be, um, how, you know, everything was going to be checked and people were going to be, you know, held accountable and everything like that. I do think the clubs have basically probably been told, listen, we are following these rules no matter what. And any anybody who steps out of line is going to get dealt with because, you know, we do want it to be seen that we're taking this really seriously. We're not going to put anything in at risk or anyone at risk with what we're doing um, because we want this return to work and it needs to work. Um, so I do think, you know, everyone is saying, yes, you know, some of this might be over the top. But as you said, Dan, given, you know, the way people felt about the return to football and not many people were keen, if football seems to suddenly just be relaxing its rules and, you know, suddenly becomes a bit of a free-for-all, then that won't be a good look. You know, I think we are, you know, we've already seen a few things happening where people were kind of worried about a spike, aren't we? So I don't think football wants to play any part in possibly being, you know, having a finger pointed at it as being responsible for a spike. Um, so I, I think they're going to stick with this right till right till the bitter end and possibly even into next season. And they will just be so hot on anything that goes on. And, you know, players and, and everyone at the clubs just need to kind of adhere to it. You know, it won't be forever. So so just just kind of swallow it for a little while and do what you need to do. Yeah, I think football as a whole, certainly in this country, just needs to keep its head down and just do what it needs to do. And it might be a little bit too stringent, a bit too tough. But as you say, the last thing football will want to be seen as is above the law or above and better than anyone else. And that way it will tarnish its image. So I think, you know, it might be heavy-handed the way that Watford players were arrested, but I think the, the means were right and I think it probably was the right decision in all. But that said, talk about this season and the things that have crept into the game or been required for football to restart. We've seen nine subs in your matchday squad, taking the matchday squad to 20 and obviously five subs actually being allowed to be used. Also, we've seen drinks breaks. Now, drinks breaks have perhaps killed the mood of the game. It almost feels like four quarters, which I'll get to Drew in a moment because he'll know about that a bit more. But, Carl, I'll stay with you. In terms of subs, can you see five subs being the norm? Or if not, could you at least see nine subs and three being actually allowed on the pitch being the new norm from next season? No, I'm kind of hoping that next season we just go back to how things were. Um, you know, I can understand maybe putting these things in just to get football restarted and kind of, you know, you know, these little extra measures that kind of make people feel a little bit more at ease with football coming back and football seem to be doing the right thing. But 
I'm not a fan of the the current way things are working. You know, I want to go back to next season where it's, you know, you free sub, seven on the bench, three on in the game. Um, And then also, you know, I want to scrap these drinks breaks, you know, because for me, all they do is they do just break up the game and the momentum of the game. You know, we know managers can stand on the line and kind of bellow out instructions, but I just think those drinks break almost give a kind of mini half time and where you're seeing things not maybe going right with your system or your team you can kind of tinker with it during those drinks break which then kind of disrupts the flow or suddenly you know where a team were taking advantage of another side that's now that gap's now been blocked and and the game keeps going to a bit of a stalemate and breaking it up so I'm kind of hoping they were measures to get us going again but I don't want to see them be kind of long-term introductions into the game I just want to see, right, let's get football back this season, get it over and done with, get it finished. Everyone can then kind of, you know, get their little break, get their pre-season going. When football then resumes, we'll be further down the line with all of this. And hopefully, you know, the numbers are dropping even more all the time and more's opening up, more's comfortable. But then let's see it get back to the way it was. Normal games, no drinks breaks and the normal free subs allowed. That, that for me, is what I want to see happen. Yeah, I'd have to agree on that front. Drew, obviously, stateside, you are more akin to sports with quarters, timeouts. The drink breaks do feel like unofficial timeouts. They are sort of being used for that reason, like Carl says, a a chance just to sort of say, hang on, maybe do this or don't do that. At the same time, do you think these chopping of the halves, are they a soft test for football to go the same way and perhaps squeeze even more ad revenue out of the game than before? Yeah, I definitely think this is going to happen. It may not be next year uh, or even the season after that, but I think 100% we're going to see five subs as a permanent change in football, and I think you're going to see drinks breaks as a permanent change. I mean, think about this. At the World Cup in Qatar, you know, the the most prestigious showpiece tournament football has, they're going to have this in every single game oh, yeah. because it's the middle of the desert. And I know it's still win- it's going to be wintertime in, in December, but they're 100% going to have this going forward. Um, what I will say is so, – so I'm not saying I'm endorsing that. I'm just saying that I 100% predict that will happen in the coming years. W- what I do want to say with this is I think, Carl, Dan, you guys are 100% right. The, the water breaks are essentially a timeout, and it does affect the flow of the game. It does – basically break the game up into four quarters akin to basketball where you have just a short time out between the first and second quarter essentially and the third and fourth but then you have that big long halftime that's exactly what is happening right now in the premier league and my i'm actually for this season i'm actually against the five subs and the water breaks and the reason is because all of the argument about bringing football back, you know, finishing the Premier League is integrity of the game, integrity of the league. Well, if we have so many different rules now, the cha- the flow of the game is different. You know, adding these extra timeouts, allowing more changes to the squad or, or and the 11. Well, then there is no more, quote, integrity of the league in the game because we're playing by a different set of rules. I don't have a problem with these new rules in place. But I just don't like to hear, oh, integrity of the game, because that's not the case. Um, So actually for this year, I'm against it. But starting next year or whatever year after that, like I said, I believe these will come into effect. I'm kind of okay with that. I mean, think about this. There Before you couldn't use subs, and now we have three. And so I think that's going to happen, especially with the amount of, of 
you know, every year the complaint is, oh, there's too much football. Players never get a break. You know, fest- festive uh, period in December is crazy. And so this is definitely going to happen, especially with the way that a lot of teams now play, as Jurgen Klopp calls it, heavy metal football. Always pressing, always, you know, running at full speed. I think this is going to be a change that we do see. Um, maybe not next year, maybe not the season after that, but we are going to see, I think, permanent water breaks and uh, five subs included. And not just in the Premier League, I think FIFA is going to make those rules uh, or, or is going to institute those rules. Yeah, I think it's certainly heading that way in the sense that it's almost like a bit of a, a trial, like a soft trial to think, okay, well, it's not enshrined in permanent law, but we can go back two years from now and say, oh, do you remember that time we had to trial it because of post-corona and all this? And everyone goes, well, yeah, actually, yeah, I think it worked quite well. And once you sort of tried it, I think it's very hard to then sort of dismiss it. So I think, yeah, it's, it's trial by stealth almost. And like you say, Drew, I wouldn't be surprised if, let's say, a soft estimate of five years that this becomes even more the new normal, whether you like it or not. What is also quite normal, Burnley. And the fact they keep defying the odds, Cole, because last night they beat Crystal Palace. Admittedly, I didn't watch it because we were busy, but I wouldn't have watched it anyway because it did sound a bit of a dour um, encounter. But... They find themselves eighth at the moment. Now, we've referenced this many, many times that they probably don't really want to be in Europe. That said, you've got to give credit to Sean Dyche because he keeps pulling the wall over everyone's eyes. Yeah, you know, um, like I say, I, I, uh, I unfortunately watched this game last night. <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't a sort of spectacle that you kind of went to bed with your heart pumping and thinking, well, what a game of football that was. But Burnley, their last two, you know, two clean sheets... Two one nil wins. Um, as you say, they're up to eighth at the moment. I can't see them being able to kind of keep going and um, getting themselves European football. Um, they they could. Um, I don't think they'd want it. Like as we said, I think you know when you look at what happened the last time they got that Europa League, I think that really set them back, didn't it? And and something that I think they'd be really you know keen not to avoid again. Um, because it's all about the Premier League for Burnley. But Dyche has been doing a fantastic job there for the last few seasons, hasn't he, since they've come up. And you kind of think he is one of those managers that you are just sitting there thinking, when is his time where this guy maybe does get a chance? We know he's not going to go to a top four side. But again, you know, is there a club, a bigger club, that could possibly kind of, you know, take him on? And see how he could, you know, see how he could kind of develop that club and get them moving. Um, if I'm honest with you, if if you know, I I love Dyche, and if I was a supporter of this side, I would be desperate for us to go and get them, and that would be West Ham. You know, if I'm a West Ham supporter, I think Dyche would be the perfect manager to go there for them. You know, I don't, you know, he's not your kind of glamour name, but I think he's a name that has proven with Burnley. If you gave him a little bit more backing than Burnley are doing, I'd really like to see what he could do because, you know, there's a real good manager in there. Um, and I think, you know, he's just waiting for a team that can maybe take him onto that next level above where Burnley can go. But if you're Burnley now, you can't moan, can you? You'd love having him in charge. You pretty much feel you're safe every season with him because he's got the know-how, he knows what he's doing. Um, and they've come back pretty well, to be honest, from the break. And if they keep that going, they'll be more than pleased. However, Drew, there was a report in the week that Sean Dyche has supposedly had a bit of a falling out with the chairman. Tensions are strained, they were saying, and he could be set to depart Burnley in the summer. Now, whether that's true or not, we don't know. If it is true, the name that was circulating to replace him 
was Mark Hughes. Now, if that's the case, that could be the beginning of the end for the Clarets in the top division. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, that's going backwards. No, that, yeah. I mean, there, there's... I think Carl hit the nail on the head. Dyche has been fantastic with them. And actually, I think his shout for him to go to West Ham is, is a pretty good one, assuming they stay up. Um, but no, I think Burnley, if they lose Sean Dyche, they are in a really bad spot because he has done phenomenally well. Right, Tactically, he always has his team well-drilled. They're always very strong defensively. And he does this on a very, very limited budget. And I think for him... And, and for Burnley, right, going into next or the summer and next season, you know, they're not going to have a lot of money to, to go and spend because of, you know, the, the coronavirus stoppage and everything that's happened. And so I don't believe he's really had a detrimental falling out with, you know, the, the higher ups at Burnley. Maybe they got into a big argument or something. But I think that's pretty typical in football or any type of business. You know, you, you argue, you have different points of view on things. So I don't necessarily think that's a problem. The biggest problem is if, in fact, he does walk away from Burnley, they are in huge trouble. Mark Hughes does not inspire anybody, I don't think. And, I mean, how, how many managers coming up, uh, you know, kind of maybe in the, in the lower tiers of the Premier League or in the championship, how many of them would want to go to Burnley? I mean, is, is Graham Potter really going to trade Brighton for Burnley? Like, I don't know. Marcelo Bielsa, let's say at Leeds they, they don't <laughs> get into the Premier League in some shape or form like would he really trade at Leeds for Burnley like you know I, I just don't see how many like quote good managers would be chomping at the bit for the Burnley job if Sean Dyche leaves so I think they really got to make sure they hold on to him because as Carl said he's done a phenomenal job over the past few years and I think he can continue to do that if Burnley don't have him then they are in big trouble absolutely I mean if you consider Mark Hughes is more of a, a firefighter manager now that is installed around December, January, and then does a job. I think any club which takes on Mark Hughes at the start of the season is on a real hiding to nothing. And I think, like you say, Drew, that's a huge backward step should it be facilitated. So, Burnley, they're on the fringes of the European places. Wolves, however, are right in there. And, Carl, when you consider that they've not lost any of their last eight league outings, which is the longest current streak in the Premier League, they are really finding their groove at just the right time. Yeah, that they've come back strong. And to be honest, like as Drew said, when you look at Chelsea's fixtures now, I, I would definitely back them to go ahead of Leicester and suddenly take third place. I now, the way Leicester are playing and Wolves are playing, I wouldn't be surprised if those two swap positions either and Wolves take fourth and Leicester drop down to fifth or sixth with the way things are looking. Um, I think they're in with a real shout of Champions League football and not just Europa League. They've played a game more than everyone, I know, but at the moment, if you look at the way they're playing, they're not going to drop many more points, I don't think, before the end of the season. Um, so if Leicester keep, you know, keep, you know, don't really put performances in, keep dropping points. I can see Wolves possibly even nicking that last fourth Champions League spot at the moment. But they're playing really well. They've got a good side, good manager. Um, and you can only see them improving. You know, we spoke, didn't we, Dan, when they first came into the Premier League. This is a club that I don't think they're setting their sights on just staying in the Premier League. This is a club with aspirations to be where they are right now every season, um, building and building and getting better. And, and, you know, as we know, you know, we've got that super agent there who can get them players that you wouldn't think Wolves could get. And if they keep, if, you know, if they suddenly was to get Champions League football, what sort of players could he get then for that club? Um, so I think Wolves, there's, there's big things going on there um, and the progression is looking pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Like we said, what was it, season, season before, that 
this trajectory continues, they aren't just coming to be a part of the Premier League party. They want to smash the top four. They want to win it within, say, five years. And I think they are going the right way, which is not good news for any other club in that bracket because it makes their life even harder. A job that Aston Villa would love, Drew, but if you consider that Wolves haven't lost in eight, Villa haven't won in eight, which is the worst longest streak of um, non-winning success in the Premier League at the moment. And with that, I think the demeanour of Dean Smith has changed to be quite negative as of late. Yeah, he definitely sounds defeated. When you listen to him in, in some pressers and some interviews over the past couple of days, he sounds like he's not given up, but it's just like, I, I've, I've done everything I can. We've tried this. We've tried that. We've changed formations. We, you know, Jack Graylish can only do so much, you know, and I, I think you're right. He looks as if he's like, guys, I, I, I almost as if he's seen the light or maybe a dark light, uh, one that is setting them back down to the championship because Aston Villa, you know, I, I tried to put my faith in them at the beginning of the year. They were scoring goals, but they were surrendering so many. Well, right now they're not scoring goals. You know, it, since the restart, you know, they they drew nil nil at home to Sheffield United. They scored one against Chelsea. They didn't score against Wolves. I think they had one against Newcastle. You know, they, they just have not been able to score. And, you know, I, granted, Wesley, their, their starting striker who they bought, he's still out and, and whatnot with the long term injury. But I just think that's the issue for Villa is they they cannot find the back of the net. They've been relying on Jack Grealish way too much. And we know for a fact, I, pretty much for a fact, even if they stay up, he's leaving as well. So if by somehow the grace of God they stay in the Premier League this year, which I don't think is going to happen, well, they're going to go down next year anyways. So, you know, they're they're hanging on by a thread at the moment because as Carl talked about, the other teams in the relegation battle are also struggling. But I just don't see any way that Villa get out of this. I mean, they have to take on Liverpool soon. They have to take on Man United. I just don't think they have anything left. Uh, and Dean Smith, I think, is unfortunately, you know, kind of coming around to reality that this season probably is done for them. And Carl, it's fair to say the mood is a bit more chirpy at the Amex because Brighton have picked up four massive points out of games against both Arsenal and Leicester. Now, if you'd offered four points to Graham Potter before those, he would have bitten your hand off. And now it looks like the Seagulls might just be safe for another season. Yeah, as you say, Dan, you know, when they looked at those first couple of fixtures back, they they wouldn't have been too excited to get them games going. But, you know, those points they've picked up there that no one expected, I think, like as you say, for me, I think those points have kind of made them safe this season. Um, you know, I think the real teams in danger now are West Ham and Watford. I think above them now you're looking at Brighton, 33 points. Newcastle have got 39 points. I can't see those two slipping up enough that pushes them down and lets those below them catch them. So, yeah, brilliant, brilliant comeback, brilliant restart for them. They'd have done the job they can. And, and who knows, you know, in the next couple of games, they may be able to kind of like play a little bit more relaxing football, knowing that the job's been done. But, but brilliant for them. So, yeah, well pleased there. Yeah, credit to Brighton. Obviously, we discussed Graham Potter's new contracts a couple of months ago and we thought, you know, is it wise that they've locked him in without survival been banked on it's happened the gamble's paid off so well done Brighton Drew you get the final word because Arsenal have returned to winning ways in both league and cup but I think the biggest news coming out of the camp is how on earth has David Luiz got that new contract uh clearly David Luiz <laughs> has some voodoo dolls <laughs> and he's been using them on all of the uh the board members at Arsenal I I, I mean th this has to be the only reason that they gave him a contract for next year they must not be confident they can get any defenders in the summer 
And so it's probably better to have him have an extra body than to not. I mean, think about this. They just gave Cedric Suarez a, a contract who they have on loan since January from Southampton. He hasn't even played a game for them because he's been hurt. <laughs> like, like they're, they're obviously just a bunch of buffoons managing the team right now or at least acting like buffoons. Maybe they're not. Um, and I kind of wonder to myself, you know, is, is Mikel Arteta really signing off on these deals or – is it the hierarchy saying like, hey, this is what we're doing. You know, you're the manager. We give you the squad and you have to do what you can do with the team that you have. And so I'm kind of wondering how much power Arteta has there. Um, it seems like not a lot. And the people above him, if they do have a lot of authority, well, they're not doing a good job because David Luiz has been a nightmare, um, you know, I mean, for, since the beginning of the year. And then obviously before he got suspended uh, for his red card against City, and you know, since the restart, it's it's just been terrible. You know, I, I mean, think about this: Arsenal are ready to to sell uh, Kieran Tierney, who they who they just got at the beginning of the year, or reports they are ready to sell him. So, like, they just they have no idea what they're doing. There's no game plan. They really are just kind of shooting from the hip and say, oh, I hope this one works. And it it's just a nightmare right now. Their defense is a perfect you know, symbol of what they have going on in the boardroom. Just chaos. And long may it continue, is how I'll close the show. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. Way <laughs> to... Um, this is a... And we may say we don't favour any team on this podcast, but yeah, if Arsenal can find themselves falling down the table, brilliant. Get yes, in there. Exactly. <laughs> all of us together. Yes. <laughs> we can agree on that. That's the glue that holds this show together. As long as we've got that, we're absolutely fine. So on that note, I think it's time to see the admin, which is simple enough, is to thank my co-host. Another cracking effort from you both. Drew, first up, thank you ever so much, mate. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, Dan. It was a great time talking to you guys with, with a bunch of different football topics and headlines to talk about, of course, Premier League and FA Cup. Um, and ending the show with a bang. I like that one. So great to talk to you, Dan, and you, of course, Carl. Cheers, buddy. Apologies if your team didn't get mentioned this week. There's so much to get through. There's always next week. So, Cole, I hope you'll be back next week to do that for me. Yeah, unlike most of our Arsenal followers, Dan, <laughs> yeah, we've I'll lost be that. back next week. <laughs> <laughs> we've lost that portion of the audience. But, yeah, but no, uh, really enjoyed today's one. Good to get some, you know, like I say, each week that we go and we have more football to talk about, um, it is amazing and brilliant. So, yeah, look forward to doing it next week. Top man. Right, with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.